Hello, hello. Welcome back to part two of the Talking Foosball 2021-2022 Bundesliga season preview spectacular. We are still going to approach this with a kind of positive outlook, an outlook of anything's possible for all these teams, but we are kind of going to take a notch down in quality this time. So maybe I'll be a little bit less effusive in my, uh, you know, praise and, and Hosanna's heaping on my two guests who I still, you know, come on. I, I, I love you guys. Nick Vildhagen, Terry DeFellin. Did I say that kind of, you know, uh, indifferently for you? Well, you know, we, Love you too. Nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, but it's been many years, isn't it? So, I mean, it's not surprising, or and it's perfectly understandable if you know the old if the old flame doesn't burn as as intensely as it once did. You know, we used to go to football matches at least once a year, and you know, now you've moved to the states. It's a long distance thing. You don't always know what to say when you call up. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's true. It's true. I'm furiously plotting to figure out a way to get to to some matches this season in the Bundesliga. Now that people are ostensibly going to be back in in the stadiums, I think that's really something to look forward to. Yeah, let's make that happen and, you know, do a Talking Foosball Road Trip Spectacular episode because we haven't done one since, I think, 2019. So it's been far too long. Yeah, absolutely. We, we've got to make that happen. But of course, it'll be particularly hilarious because we're all that much older. You got it, buddy. Uh, much more jaded after COVID. And Nick, you've got two kids. So uh, three pints of beer and you're anybody's. <laughs> That'll be a laugh. <laughs> Yeah, how the mighty have fallen. All right, um, let's let's get cracking on. I think we're going to have to take a brief break just to sort of reset things, but just to sort of fill you back into what's in store in this episode. In part one of our season preview, which we recorded prior to this, we covered sort of the, the potential fortunes of the top six teams from last season. And in this episode, we're going to, you know, take on the pretty big task of, of both the middle and the bottom six from last year. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to tell you how all those sixes are going to be all mixed up. We're going to give you our predictions. So see you in a bit. Uh, we're going to crack on here with part two of the season preview here on Talking Foosball. We are starting with the, the, the sort of middle six of the teams from last year's Bundesliga. Of course, the borders between these, uh, you know, tiers of six, they're very porous. It was, it was a very close run thing at the end of last season. Who indeed was going to make the top six? FC Union Berlin. Or should I say, Erste FC Union Berlin. Uh, they end up in seventh place. They are the participants in the UEFA Europa Conference League. Oh, so glamorous. Exactly, exactly. They do have a uh, a playoff to contend. They are going to be facing the winner of Kopion, a Finnish team, and Astana from Kazakhstan mm -hmm. in, in in a play-in round. So that, that, that should be some pretty tasty stuff. Do you dare me to read the, the somewhat full list of, of comings and goings with the squad of, of Union? It's going to be a, a lengthy situation. I, maybe I can just... Do the highlights or we can take turns. I don't know. Yeah, let's just do the highlights. All right. You've got the list in front of you. Who, who, do, you, who do you look at there as the, as the biggest signing coming in and the biggest one coming out? I think it's sort of like last season was really obvious because you, you just knew it was Max Cruiser, right? But this time around, you've got a lot of 
decent Bundesliga experience and Bundesliga 2 experience coming in. But there's nobody who really stands out. I mean, guys like Frederick Renault really didn't get to show what he was good for at both Eintracht and Schalke, but he's supposed to be a good keeper. Timo Baumgartel was this talent all these years ago who sort of didn't make it in the end at Stuttgart and then moved to PSV Eindhoven where we had a, where he had a horrid time in the end. Rick von Drongelen, Bundesliga 2 player. So, uh, I mean, if I would have to pick, I'd probably say Rani Kadira because he's been a really decent player for, for Augsburg over the last few years and he sort of brings a bit of stability to any defensive midfield. So not as good as his brother at his best, but uh, decent player. All right, since you didn't mention any of the outs and you know only like four or five of the ins, I am going to hold Terry to a much more uh, stringent standard, and I want one player, just one player in the ins or outs that you want to highlight as, uh, you know, a big deal. Yeah, and I think that they're probably quite pleased that uh, that they've got Taiwo Oanyi signed up for them. He did an okay for them. I mean, I mean, Union Berlin players are not going to be the most prolific in terms of posting big, massive scoring numbers, despite the fact that they did finish high up in the table because it's it's very much a team game for Union Berlin. But I think that they can be relatively pleased that they've been able to persuade him to come and join the team and the club permanently. More broadly, there are so many signings here, both in and out, that it is easy, you know, particularly when you're being asked to do a preview of them, to get somewhat overwhelmed by just what that is all going to look like. But thus far, Union seem to have found a way through the mess and through the chaos, largely because they're a kind of club that I think that runs on high emotion anyway and and embraces a degree of chaos. Yeah, uh, I think I think the only sort of big loss in in those, you know, uh, departures is Nico Schlotterbeck. Uh wouldn't you agree Terry? I mean that that is pretty much uh, the big loss they've had and they've actually managed to replace him with a couple of decent central backs. Yeah, sure. And I mean this is something that they are going to have to expect anyway being a, a best and mid-table club that they will lose their better players, but you know, to be fair I would suggest to you that Union Berlin's target for this season is probably still fourth from bottom and to try and navigate their way through what is could be a, what could be if they qualify a hectic European uh, schedule as well. You don't want to be one of those guys that says, oh, well, you know, do you really need, you know, European football? You know, it's, it's, it's Union Berlin and it's playing in European competition. I mean, like, when does that happen? I mean, it's a wonderful thing and they should celebrate it and enjoy it. But I th- would suggest that Union's ambitions would be fairly, fairly narrow again this season. Just still being in the party uh, would be enough for them. So unless they have a major meltdown, it's, it's difficult to see them, them not staying up. Also, in view of the fact, as we'll discuss later on, that I think there are some pretty strong candidates for relegation in this division. Yeah, for sure. You know, last season after, you know, them coming off of a pretty iffy first season in the Bundesliga, I don't want to say iffy, like they, they were not close to getting relegated in their first season in the Bundesliga, but they, they looked pretty limited. And last season, I completely changed my tune about Union. I mean, all Berlin rivalry stuff aside, I think that this club has done so much right. And I, it doesn't surprise me that while they don't have the capacity or the money, let's just say, to, to, to attract a lot of really top tier players, there are a lot of, you know, known Bundesliga quantities. And Nick, you kind of mentioned a number of them. I would also, you know, bring up guys like uh, Genki Haraguchi. Yeah. These are guys who have Bundesliga experience, who have, who've been capable Bundesliga players. And if you were given the proposition of playing for Union, this is a team that has great fans, that has a great 
club culture. It's in Berlin, which is a nice city to live in. I, it's not surprising that they are finding that a lot of players actually want to come play for them. I think that they're maybe seventh place is, is probably going to be ambitious for them. But I, I really like that signing of Taiwa Awani. I mean, he frustrated a lot of people with his finishing last year, but he got himself into a ton of good positions. And he seemed to gel well with Max Cruz and with uh, Geraldo Becker. So I feel like if they don't get stuck too deep into the UEFA Europa Conference League, I think that the, the future should be bright. And, and even if they do get way stuck into that competition, if they make it far, I think that's also a huge benefit just for the sort of increasing capabilities of this club. I mean, this is a club that we have to remember was really, really not even anywhere near the Bundesliga for many, many years. And they are still sort of learning how big they can be. And, and doing well in Europe, even in what some people might deride as like the junk competition, is a great thing. Yeah, I mean, those trips to Moldova, they don't come around that often. I've never gotten a chance to go to Moldova, Nick. Chisinau is, is beautiful this time of year, I tell you. But it, it's a great thing that the club has qualified for Europe for the first time through the league because they went there when they went to the cup final back in the early 2000s, back when they were a third division side. And they went once, or well, they qualified once in the old GDR when they won the cup there but alas that season the GDR officials decided to boycott all European competitions so they weren't allowed to play so now they're allowed to play in a, in a competition which they've qualified for you know through the league and who would have thought that a club that needed fans to donate blood and take that money in order to save that club the, the fans were literally bleeding for this club who would have thought that this club would reach any sort of European competition you know, not that many years ago. Yeah, I mean, clearly this club was not thinking they would be playing in any European competition because their stadium's not ready for it and they're going to have to play in the Olympiastadt <laughs> uh, for these, these European games. So, you know, that'll be an interesting experience. I, I think, you know, Union, they fill their small stadium very, very capably every week. It'll be interesting knowing the discourse that surrounds, you know, Hertha when, when you know, that club only gets... 35, 40,000 in that 80,000 seat ground. You know, when, when you own play and let's just say 45, 50,000 people show up, is everyone, everyone going to take a crap on them like they do on Hertha? No. I don't think so, but we'll of course see. Not. Yeah, but it's, it's the European Conference League and, you know, it's, it's not like Union trying to sell out the Olympiastadion in a match against Bayern. Union are, you know, almost proudly a, a smaller club. They're fiercely parochial in outlook. They, you know, they don't have to worry uh, about how, what people think if they can't fill out an 80,000 capacity stadium for a few conference league games. Hertha, on the other hand, have different ambitions and a very, very different brand. And so for that, it's profoundly embarrassing that they can't sell out their stadium. <laughs> Ooh, 80,000 people. <laughs> that's bigger than your, that's bigger than your stadium. <laughs> Let us move on because I think I think we're all more or less of the mind that that uh, Union have have their work cut out for them, but things uh, still look pretty good. And let's talk about a team who probably have higher expectations than they do, and that probably is you know completely unnecessary. It's Borussia Mönchengladbach. They are part of the giant musical chairs domino whatever game we want to talk about it, the carousel. 
Their coach this season, having lost Marco Rosa to Borussia Dortmund, is Adi Hütter, who of course was the Eintracht Frankfurt coach last season. Anyway, they have not made too many moves in the transfer market. They have picked up a couple of you know younger players, Luca Netz from Hertha, a left back, uh, along with uh, Quadio Kone, a midfielder. And given up a bunch of players who probably didn't play a lot. I mean, Valentino Lazaro had his moments. He had that scorpion kick goal that I think everyone freaked out over uh, for for a few days. He um, was injured most of the season. He was, and, uh, indeed. Indeed. He was a bit player. He was on loan. It wasn't a big deal to lose him. Michel Lang had kind of faded away. Ibrahim Traoré, they let his contract run out. And, and Oscar Vent has uh, moved on into, you know, the, the, the twilight years. So it's more or less the same group as last year with a couple of additions and a couple of subtractions around the margins. You know, is, is adding Adi Hütte to the mix, replacing Rosa with, with Hütte going to sort of stir things up a little bit? Is this, is this maybe a recipe to, to get something more out of this more or less the same group? Well, I, I think first off, we should mention one more thing, and, and that's the fact that uh, Dennis Zakaria might very well be on his way out. Uh, there's strong rumors linking him to two Italian sites, that is Napoli and uh, AS Roma. He has one year left on his contract, and it looks like Borussia Mönchengladbach are not expecting that he'll sign an extension, so um, it, it looks like they're, they're keen to move him on, and there are a couple of Italian sites who might be willing to, to pay a bit of money for him. And... Um, that in itself would be a massive loss. I don't think that any of the other players they've lost over this transfer window are massive losses. Uh, although Oscar Van played quite regularly last season as well, but he's going on there in age. And I think Luca Nets is one of the most talented replacements in Germany that you could have bought. And at a price tag of, what was it, four or five million euros? Yeah, it's four, four and a half. And then, you know, Hertha also gets a cut of the, of the next buy of whenever Dortmund buys him you know yeah yeah when Dortmund comes around uh, buying him for 40 I think that's ridiculously cheap actually but yeah I, I, you know Dennis Zakaria might be the big loss uh, but yeah I, I think throwing Adi Hütter into the mix is certainly going to add a bit of a more physical dimension to this side's playing style Adi Hütter does like his side to to be up their opponents quite a lot I mean whenever he's you know, the, co- the size these coaches in the Bundesliga of Eintracht Frankfurt, they always used to be quite quite high up there in the yellow card and red card table. So, I, I, you know, I, I do expect a bit of more physicality from this club side. And looking at their squad, I think they've got the players to do that. So how this group will react to that new playing style and uh, how this is going to gel on the pitch is going to be exciting to see. But, um, yeah, I, I do think uh, we might be in for, for quite a fun season for, for the Folds. And you, Terry? Again, I can only really echo uh, much of what Nick has uh, said. Uh, it's got to be said. Assuming that they buy into Adi Hutter's approach, then this could be a really lively season for Mönchengladbach. They haven't made any significant changes notwithstanding the possibility that they might lose Zachary, which could be something of a season changer for them. But I have high expectations for them because, I mean, I think that they let themselves down towards the back end of last season. And I see no reason why, if properly motivated, they can't just have another good season. Good season being top six, bluntly. I'm not certain whether or not they're going to, they've got enough to get into the Champs League. But I certainly think that they're going to be interesting to watch because, I don't know. Was Adi Hütter and Frankfurt like this wonderful, glorious confluence of sort of like, you know, emotion, philosophy, football, coaching and all of that, producing this 
force of nature that was Eintracht Frankfurt, or or, or, or are we perhaps forgetting about the fact that you know that is this uh, something that can't be replicated at another club? We will see, but there's no reason why with the composed squad that they have, it's well rounded and balanced enough to be able to do what Addy Hutton needs them to do. So let's see, it's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, clearly Adi Hütter, who who could have stayed in Frankfurt if if he had wanted to, he saw something in Gladbach, and you know now it's just up to him to to, to show us that that something he saw. Okay, another sort of team who probably have you know expectations of being at least as good as they were last year and showed a lot of promise by finishing where they did is uh, is, is VfB Stuttgart. They too have not made a lot of big purchases coming in other than replacing the the departing Gregor Kobel with uh, Florian Müller who played in in, in Freiburg um, last season. Uh, they did lose a number of players. I, I mentioned Kobel, Nicolas Gonzalez who you know had some very good performances for them at times last season. They also are losing a sort of locker room leader in Gonzalo Castro who you know is what 36 or something at this point. So Say la vie. It's interesting. You mentioned rumors surrounding Dennis Zakaria uh, a moment ago, Nick. There have also been a lot of rumors surrounding Stuttgart's probably one of their crown jewels, which is Sasha Kalajic, who, you know, scored a pretty legendary goal, I would say, at, uh, at, you know, the European Championship, that sort of <laughs> header on the floor against Italy to sort of keep them in the game. How much is riding, do you think, Terry, on them holding on to Kalajic? kind of optimistic that Stuttgart will will continue to move upwards on it that there's more to, to see from that team but yeah it does kind of rely on them not losing their best striker someone who the see the closer we get to the season and we are very close to the start of the season the harder it's going to be to replace those goals and to replace that presence in there so I think we can be a, a little bit fearful of what happens to them afterwards but not not to any disastrous degree. They're still an exciting team, well coached, and they seem to have the momentum. And they've shed themselves of the, I think, the the burden of the Stuttgart traditional club and the fall from grace. The fact that they're you know not no longer they've re re uh, invented themselves as a sort of like as a disruptive influence on the Bundesliga as a progressive force, and they're very enjoyable to to watch as a consequence. And they have that air of being on something of a curve. But there's no question that Kalajic would be a huge miss if he were to go. Well, you know, I think that Stuttgart is probably not going to sell him unless somebody comes in with a rather crazy offer at 40, 50 million euros, Mm. something along those lines, Uh, maybe less. But, you know, but it has to be sort of crazy. You know, having said that, there's one more story we should mention, and that happened during the off-season, and and that's the fact that, uh, you know, we all struggled to say the name Silas Vamagutuka. Not me. Not me. You you practiced a lot, and, and you you know, you got there. You got there in the end. (laughs) Well, now you don't have to. But now you don't have to, because... Apparently, his name is Silas Katompa Mavumpa, which, uh, you know, sounds like poetry. What actually happened is the fact that Silas uh, went to the Stuttgart officials and said, well, you know, I was, I was exploited by this one agent, and he made me change my name, and he made me one year younger, and I'm actually not the person who I say that I was. I'm actually this other guy who's one year older. And that might explain the fact why he's just played with the name Silas on his jersey. And not Vamagintuka, because obviously he's not 
his name isn't Farmer Gituka. So Stuttgart published that during the offseason and uh, the DFB got involved. He has been handed a punishment ban, which probably is mostly going... I mean, he's injured right now. I think he got an ACL tear or something towards the end of the season. So he's probably almost done serving that ban. Yeah, the ban would run ostensibly, whether or not he's healthy, through the first three match days. I think he's he would be off of the ban yeah. on, exactly on match day four. Yeah. So, so I don't know if he's, he'll be ready to play. It's a smart smart play by Stuttgart to, to announce that at that time, knowing knowing what they know. And, and it may well be that maybe the ACL tear precipitated, you know, the decision that look, this is the time to come clean, you know, in the player's mind. to think this is the time to actually come clean about this. Uh, I, mean, I got nothing but sympathy for the guy at all. So for, the, for nothing but sympathy for the there guy. There were rumors so of the French good, player, yeah. press about him having faked his identity a couple of years ago. So it probably didn't come as a surprise to Stuttgart that this might be the case if they indeed have done their research before signing him. But yeah. Obviously, it's uh, it's quite sad to see that many African players do get involved with agents who, you know, are not necessarily looking out for, for those players, but themselves rather. And, uh, you know, making a player a year younger, obviously, uh, makes a player more valuable going by his talents. Yeah, I think this is also a, a matter of them trying to cut out his old club in Congo from, from solidarity payments or whatever. So I just say that this was, this was a totally new player that the agent doesn't owe anybody anything if we, if he, you know, goes for, for a big thing. It, it is really sad to have to do a years long sort of skullduggery project at the, at the behest of a disreputable agent. In a lot of ways, I think this is going to be, it'll be interesting to see how much in some ways more, uh, more free the guy maybe can play. Yeah, not having to think about any of this junk. Exactly. You know, I, I can't imagine that this wasn't a huge weight on on his shoulders. So I, it's got to have been a massive weight on his shoulders. So yeah, maybe he, maybe it is. I mean, he can now kind of you know not start again, but I mean, once he gets back, he can work. He can work on his fitness, and and it's all good. I mean, you know, from a moral point of view, you think about the punishment, and you think, oh god, that sucks. But at the same time, I mean, like those rules are there precisely because this kind of stuff happens, and it needs to be punished. You can't make exceptions. But the fact that I think that it's the timing of it, I think, has has, got, has gone very well, and I think that actually the DFB probably handled the situation as well as they could have done. I think I don't think they could have done much more. In, in terms of, of of being sensible to the situation, this is as good as it get from the DFB. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there's these old white men who are quite conservative when <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, one more thing, though, and uh, changing topics ever so slightly, I think we should also mention the fact that Stuttgart have brought in. Florian Müller and uh, lost Gregor Kovel, so there's a change up in goal. Yeah, and you know I think that is in terms of quality, it's not a massive drop, so shouldn't be shouldn't be too much of a, of an issue for Stuttgart. Indeed, indeed, I think I think they are in pretty good hands. Okay, we can check in now with SC Freiburg. They're you know arch rivals. We finished just one place behind them in the table. They too have made very few moves on the transfer market. Interesting in my mind. Freiburg, the pattern with them, the sort of, you know, what tends to happen there is if they play a good season and if they have any decent young players, they all get bought and then they go back to the drawing board and it's sort of, you know, a year zero situation. I really feel like this was this team was not picked clean this year. They lost Kwon Chang Hoon because he has to go back to Korea and do uh, his his military service. At, there's a military service team over there in in the K League. I, I learned from reading about that. Florian Muller, of course, left and will have to be uh, you know 
next man up there. But they have Nico Schlotterbeck back from Union, back, back from that loan. And they are apparently promoting a whole string of players from their under 23 side who were, who were very good last year. So this, this could be an interesting year for them. Nick, are, are you sort of have a positive outlook for this team? Yeah, sure. I mean, they're coached by Christian Schreich, and it doesn't matter if they get relegated. There's not an awful lot of pressure there in, in that regard. But it's it's about uh, developing players, and it's about uh, developing playing culture and ever-evolving playing culture, and uh, it's about keeping that DNA up. That, that's all That's all what Freiburg are about, and they're about youth work, they're about promoting on players, and, you know, to see Nico Schlotterbeck coming back after another loan, who, you know, he's originally a Freiburg uh, player. Uh, he's been loaned out a couple of times. And to see some under-23 players being promoted to the first team, yeah, it's, it's exactly what Freiburg do. And, you know, when things go well for them, they can, at times, make, um, you know, make a foray into Europe. And going by how strong this site was last season and going by some of the better quality players they have in their squad, like... Vincenzo Grifo, who almost made the cut for that Italy side that won the European Championship, you would have to say they look like they're in very, very good shape. Uh, yes, I uh, entirely agree with my colleague. I think that uh, I don't really have much more to add than that. That is that is how Strife works. He develops the youth. And the, because there hasn't been too many massive changes, then there's no reason why they can't continue to be consistent, not have a traumatic season, and thereby lay down the foundations for what could be a good season. And, you know, it's possible that there are some amongst us who feel that they will do very well this season. And uh, and there's no reason to assume that. You just tend not to know, I suppose, there's always an air of mystery about Freiburg. And this is partly because, bluntly, you know, those of us who watch the whole league tend to watch other teams more than they would watch Freiburg because they are a bottom mid-table kind of side. But, you know, when you dip into Freiburg Twitter, which can be an interesting place, they, they, you know, they don't appear to be particularly restless, is what, what strikes me about Freiburg Twitter. And I take a great story in that because they obviously know what they're t- talking about because they, they watch my more than, than, than me. So everyone seems to be fairly cool about Freiburg this, this year. Yeah, yeah. Travelling Panda and Adrian Sertl are certainly the best Freiburg followers out there, so... Follow them, and you'll be entertained, but you don't you don't get any rash takes. I tell you that. Brilliant. All right, continuing with our uh, the, the southwestern section of, uh, of 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 our preview, we are going to stick around in the region and go over to the uh, the the Rhein Neckar region. Oh, Jesus, Hoffenheim. Uh, they are they're next in the list, Nick. What, what, what can I do? They also, you know. Are, we're not super active in bringing in and or getting rid of, of significant players in the squad. David Raum, Angelo Stiller, these are the, the players who came in, and uh, Constantino Staphylidis is out, who you know has been on various loans, so it's not like that's a big deal. Last season was probably pretty frustrating for Hoffenheim fans, considering they, they came out of the gate looking pretty good. They got that big win over Bayern in Week 2, and I think... Everybody kind of thought that maybe this guy was the limit for Sebastian Hernes and his, uh, you know, caretakership at Hoffenheim. And they just never really hit the boil last season. I, I, you know, I'm looking here. They finished 11th 
And it, I feel like they were in 11th place almost the whole season. Well, I, well, to be fair, they, they were actually slightly further down at, at some point in the season. They were probably slightly further up as well. <laughs> Not much. Um, <laughs> well, I, what, what I would have to say about Hoffenheim's last season, I think they were actually the team hit hardest by COVID. So I think last season for them, you know, was a, was a miserable season in terms of injuries, in terms of COVID in terms of having to play in Europe as well. And they don't have to do that this season. So they don't have that, you know, issue of having to play Thursday night matches. Having said that, they've got in David Ram, who's a very talented left back, who had a great season at Greuterford in the Bundesliga 2 last season. Angela Stiller is a former Bayern youth player who's played mm-hmm. under Hoeneß. Actually, me and Terry, we saw him play for the under-19th when we were in back two years ago. Yes, we did. Who coached by Sebastian Hernes, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, so uh, Sebastian Hernes knows him well, so he probably has an idea or two what he wants to do with him on the pitch, I would imagine. Stiller has actually been a player that has been uh, in the spotlight of many clubs. Many clubs wanted to sign him, so for, for Hoffenheim, this is actually a decent get. So yeah, I think uh, I think they they might might have a slightly better season than last season. But at the end of the day, when I watch when I look at that squad list, I'm I'm not getting overly excited, but I'm not overly concerned as well. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't think that there's anything to get particularly excited about, and I don't think there's anything for Hoffenheim fans to get particularly worried about either. To be fair, the equally, uh, I, I think if. If they can have a trouble-free season in terms of isolations, COVID issues, and we all wish that, and, and then maybe there's a, a opportunity for us, Sebastian Hannes, in his second season, you know, with his feet firmly under the desk, to maybe you know do something with this team. And so th- th- it, there is always that capacity to surprise, and there's enough quality, I think, in the squad to be able to play above them if they play above themselves to do something really interesting. But equally, it's Hoffenheim, so. Yes, why, why shouldn't we just move on, Matt? Come on. Fair enough. You know, you, you don't have to tell me twice. We've got several more teams to get through as well as our predictions, so stay tuned. SFSV Mites is the next in the list. This is the team who, of course, had quite the narrative last season, having a disastrous first half of the season before finally, on their third coach of the season, Riding the ship in ridiculous fashion, having one of the best second halves of the season by by a, a, a relegation-threatened side in the history of the Bundesliga, getting themselves all the way up to 12th with relative ease. So I think Mites fans would probably be satisfied to simply have a season where they don't have a terrible dip, even if that means you don't have the high-flying ways that they uh, got to under Bo Svensson in the second half of the season. Do either of you trust them, however, to just keep on playing like they did at the end of last season and actually fight for Europe? <laughs> it's going to be hard to replicate. Mm. I think losing Robin Quaison and Danny Latzer is a massive blow. Danny Latzer obviously joining Schalke, a club that he's played for in his youth and wanted to return to. So it's sort of a matter of the heart for Danny Latzer. So he left them on free transfer. He was their captain last season, for crying out loud. So it goes without saying that this is both as a person in the locker room and as a figure of identity and um, as a player on the pitch, it's 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 a loss. And Robin Quaison, you know, he, he, was a, he was a busy player up front and uh, gave them another dimension there. And... Um, 
he left them. I, I think he went to Saudi Arabia or well, some, some. Yes, he's gone to Saudi Arabia. I forget the name of the club, uh, but yes, he has. Al Etifak. Thank you. Which is, you know, disappointing to see such a fine player playing in, um, you know, a league that pays well, but. You know, the quality of the of the football being played there is not necessarily all that great from what I've been told. But yeah, those two things are pretty much worrying for them. But and and in terms of the transfers in, I you know, I don't see any sort of like massive uplift in quality from the players they're getting in, but it's rather sort of something players that are there to develop over the years. Considering all those things, I you know, I think it's going to be difficult to think about Europe going forward, but you know, if you go by the squad and you see what both Benson can do with that group, you think, well, they should be all right. They should be a mid-table side. I think it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not they can just maintain that form and just go into this season, start the season like they finished the last season. Nick's perfectly right to point out those particularly two big losses to the squad. Quaison's goals will be missed and Latza's influence and his presence in the dressing room is going to be a going to be a big absence. But what Bo Svensson has clearly demonstrated is his ability to muster these this squad of players from being, you know, almost as bad as Schalke in the first half of the season to being possibly even worse uh, to being almost as good as Bayern in the second half of the season. So that takes more than a couple of players leaving, you know, I, I, to to upset that, I think. We don't know how much of it has just been just like they had a moment and how much of it is just that the coach is just that good. So we're going to find all this stuff out. But I choose to be optimistic about Mainz this season. It may well be that the, that the whole season is quite a long time for that squad and that perhaps Europe might be a tad optimistic. But I mean, I certainly uh, you know, would imagine that they will be in the right half of the table for much of it. I expect them to be there. I should be very disappointed in them if they're not. Yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic as well. I think that they didn't make a lot of moves, but a couple of them were interesting. I think you mentioned Anton Stach, oddly, and another from Fiat to go along with, with Raum. You know, they, they get promoted and they end up selling their two, two of their, their better young players. And Lee Jason from uh, Kiel last season uh, and, and the last couple of seasons prior. Interesting player, not the hugely productive in terms of goals, but, you know, Skillful, elegant player. Nice to watch. I think that they'll do a little better because they won't basically dig themselves a hole. But um, I think it might be too much to ask for them to be uh, Bayern-esque. All right, let's take a quick break and come back with the bottom six plus predictions. Here we are. We are finally at the third tier of Bundesliga sides, the bottom six from last season. All of these teams, uh, at least the ones who were there, are going to be looking to get themselves out. And, you know, even the likes of Bochum and Fürth, if they are feeling ambitious, would love to see themselves in one of the other tiers. Let's go ahead and get started with uh, FT Augsburg, who, uh, who finished in 13th place last season. Definitely had some relegation fears as the season went on, but uh, seemed to sort of be a little bit steadier in the final five or six match days. They have made quite a few moves, as it turns out. They have Nicholas Dorsch 
which I think is the big headline move of the summer. This is a guy who played as captain for uh, Germany's, what was it, under-21 international side, mm-hmm. captained them to the final, won the tournament. This was a guy who has been sort of looking for a new home in the Bundesliga after you know going on a little bit of a, of a detour. And the fact that he chose Augsburg – when he, you know, had been linked with quite a few other other uh, sides, was an interesting signal to me that at least some young guys who who see themselves as potentially having a big career in Germany or maybe even as internationals think that this is a club going someplace. Who else do you see among the additions that might uh, sizzle a little bit, Terry? I'd be quite interested to hear your opinion on Arne Meyer, actually, Matt. I'm wondering uh, what I'm not going to pretend to be uh, fully across this, but uh, I mean, I wonder whether or not that's a, an interesting move, whether you've got an opinion on that. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I have a, a very Hertha centric opinion on that. I like him a lot as a player. I think over the last couple of seasons, there grew some concerns about his attitude, either in terms of commitment to the club or, you know, willingness to put up with, with uh, competition for places. Maybe he sees that as being less of, a, of an issue at Augsburg, although I don't know why he would. There's plenty of good players in that midfield. And let's face it, also when he was at uh, Bielefeld last season, he didn't get into the side consistently until the end of the season when, when Krama took over. But I, I think he's a quite a useful player. I think he reads the game well. He thinks both as someone who wants to sort of cut off passing lanes for opponents, but he also, when he actually does intercept the ball or, or you know get the ball, he looks forward with it. I, I He's the player, interestingly enough, I feel like Hertha thought they were getting three or four years ago when he first came into the side that they now have in Suat Serdar. They had to go out and buy a player who they thought, you know, maybe Arne Meyer would grow into, but he just didn't. And the fact that he decided to go play for the under-21s and then also the Olympic team this summer, rather than spend any time in preseason with Hertha, I think rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. So, you know... He's a good player. Hope he hope he turns out at uh, Augsburg. Just maybe it wasn't the best match for him at Hertha. This is, I think, to an extent, this is kind of where Augsburg are likely to be, isn't it? Is to try and find these kind of slightly sort of like unpolished gems and try and see if he can make it work for them. And it's interesting that they've got Marcus Van Seel back as well, of course, isn't it? Because... Is it a case of, you know, that kind of getting the old band back together again, feeling where it never quite works as the second time around? There's a sense in my mind that despite the signings and despite the decision by Dorsch to, to, to move there, that, that maybe this project might be coming to something of a close and that maybe the, the time is coming for, for Augsburg. But I think that that's also based on my own personal prejudice against that club because I must confess they've never, they've never entirely appealed to me. There's, there's not much to like. They were a hateful side to watch last season. They were, they were yeah, absolutely. they weren't, they weren't, they weren't, they were t- I mean, they're one of those teams that just like lig around the sort of like uh, middle to bottom of a of a division, getting in the way of perhaps some other clubs who maybe aren't maybe aren't as well stocked as as, as they are, but but maybe have a little bit more ambition and a bit more drive, and they just get in the way. What really rocked me about them the wrong way, and I saw like I saw them like on three or four consecutive match days uh, last season, and they got like. Three gifted goals. I think two on goals and Michael Lom just not hitting the ball when he was getting a simple back pass to his goal. That was just like, yeah, there you go. Here are 
you know, five points that you completely didn't deserve. So I, I thought they were the luckiest side in the Bundesliga producing not any sort of attacking displays or not any sort of exciting attacking football. And they were getting so lucky when it came to the, to the way they produced their goals. It was ridiculous at one point. So I think, yeah, I think if we're sticking with the, you know, getting the old band back together narrative, I would say it's a bit like the Doors getting back together without Jim Morrison. That's that's what this Vinesiel move might just very well be. And uh, who, who is who is Morrison in this in this I, metaphor? You know, I'm, I'm talking about the quality of the music here, not any sort of one given person. I'm, I want to know that too. Yeah, I, it's possible you've not thought this metaphor through. It's not entirely, big. but. It still stands. But I don't up. blame you. Um, no, well, you know, it's, it's a bit like um, you know, you. It's it's a bit like rekindling old love, and uh, you know, Werder Bremen tried it on the last match day of the season with Thomas Schaaf. That didn't work out. Eintracht Frankfurt tried it back in the day with bringing back Armin V. That didn't work out. I think besides Bayern bringing back your Pankis after you know two decades, I'm struggling to find any sort of Bundesliga clubs who've brought back a coach within the same decade and. Uh, have had a massive amount of success with that same person. You know, ordinarily, I would be with both of you, thinking that uh, this this is a side that I don't want to have around because they do play, as of late, pretty pretty negative football. Yeah. But I want to give a special shout-out to their home kit this season. It's spectacular. It's, so, it's such a good-looking shirt. They have the perfect shade of red and green, the perfect width of, of stripes. They are going to look just sharp as hell this season, which I'm hoping will, uh, you know, give them a little bit of extra, extra drive. I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I mean, they look better when they pick up the ball from the back of the net. I mean, they look good doing anything, man. Solve. Pleasing, pleasing. It's, it's, you know, having a good kit, having a player in a good kit, picking up the, the ball from the back of the net. I mean, the HSV kit has looked nice at times. <laughs> I mean, it made, made those players look better in my eyes when they, you know, when they were picking the ball from the back of the net. So, um, no, I mean, Augsburg has been in the Bundesliga for over a decade now. It's, you know, the last three or four years haven't really been brilliant. Uh, it might very be time to, you know, do something else. Well, it's not going to happen now. Is no, it? probably not. But you <laughs> they're know, going to stay up. Um, yeah. But I mean, I don't. I mean, the risk of lapsing into statistics, but uh, which 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 can you know be a dangerous thing for a guy like me. But their xG was thirty six point one according to FB Ref last season, and their number of goals for was thirty six. So there's no room for improvement to be found there for Augsburg. So they are going to have to actually get better. Otherwise, you could find themselves back where they are. But I suspect that there are two slash three teams worse than Augsburg in this division. They're like bloody herpes. They're never going away, are they? Well, I mean, I wouldn't want to compare them to herpes. But now that you've done it, I'm not about to stand here and contradict and you. And plus, everybody, <laughs> herpes is, is, is it, it, it's a disease that can be treated. It can be managed. Uh, let's not catastrophize this here, folks. But not by Marcus Weinsiel, can it? There are plenty of people who manage and live full lives with herpes. And if you have been <laughs> affected by anything that you've heard just now, then please go to our support website, which and Matt will read that out at the end of the program. Yeah, yeah at the very end, it's possible it might get cut off, but <laughs> we'll see. All right. Uh, moving on to a team who, who did finish behind Alex Bork last season and, and do have, do have a coach that they brought back within less than a decade. In fact, just a couple of years. Uh, Pal Dardai, uh, he, he took over at the end of, uh, of last season and, uh, steered them to safety, uh, you know, despite the whole COVID 
quarantine drama, et cetera, et cetera. Freddie Bobich, perhaps more importantly, came across from Eintracht Frankfurt as the new sporting director or, you know, They've got a lot more people in the front office now. They've sort of got a lot of new titles. Arna Friedrich is uh, is is there permanently. Lots in upheaval. <laughs> That's just the story with Hertha BSA. They do have a lot of changes in their squad. More players were shipped out than have been brought in. I think that's probably okay, considering that <laughs> they had been on a real buying spree over the past couple of seasons. But uh, Luka Nets, we mentioned earlier, is off to Gladbach. John Cordoba sold to uh, Russia for a tidy some Omar Aldereta to Spain, uh, Jessica Ngankam ostensibly to Kreuterfurt, although he will be in the uh, the rehab center for the next several months after doing his ACL in his first training session with Fürth. Poor guy. Edward Leuven is uh, playing at Bochum this season. Matteo Kendouzi, his loan ended. He's now in uh, Marseille. Matthew Leckie's back in Australia. And Arna Meyer is in Augsburg. And uh, on the inside of the ledger, Stefan Jovetic was signed on a free. Swat Serda from Schalke. Kevin Prince Boateng also on a free. And Marco Richter is being brought in from Augsburg. That is kind of easing some worries among Hertha fans that they hadn't, they had, you know, done a lot of business, but they hadn't brought in anybody who can play on the wing. Well, he can. Whether or not you like him, whether or not you think he's the solution on on the wing is, is another debate, but at least they've gone and bought a winger. Lots going on, as usual, at this club. Nick, what do you think it's going to all add up to? I've said over the last couple of seasons so many times that, that the fact that they can't get more out of the squad is absolute foolishness. Now they've gone and gutted the squad. There might be more to come. Mateusz Cunha played well in the Olympics. He might get sold on. Dodi Lukabakio has been on the block all summer. Is this is this the year where they finally play up to their abilities, or is this just going to be another head-scratcher? I think they've finally got a coach who... Um, well, uh, well, we came to Dardai and, and Herta and the fact that they let him go in the first place and replaced him with Antichovic. That was a head scratch in itself. I think they made a mistake letting him go in the first place because anti George, what he brought to the table, wasn't anything new or revolutionary. And when they then, you know, went with last Windhorse's one mate who knows a little bit about football, and that's Jürgen Klinsmann, that was the wrong move as well because last Windhorse, he admits this freely in several interviews, is he, he doesn't know anything about football. So he asked the one guy he's met at some party where they probably serve some, you know, dolphin on, on, on very tiny plates with Bollinger in the glass. And, you know, you know, he just knows that, oh, Jürgen, he, he, he used to play football. And then he hired him. And what we do know about Jürgen Klinsmann is that he doesn't know anything about tactics or very little and is a limited coach. And so, I mean, there, there was this whole go around, this, this whole sort of, you you really never had the you never knew what Herder was doing and it looked like M- Michael Pretz wasn't knowing what he was doing but now you have two people in charge there who do know what they're doing and Paul Dardai and Freddy Bobic so yeah I think I think the signings uh, getting Kevin Prince Boateng back is exciting Michael Richter yeah, I think he has a lot of untapped potential that he might be able to show Suat Zerda uh, one of the better players over there Chalka so it's it's. I think it's a lot of good. I think the old, the biggest loss really is Luka Nets, in my opinion. 
Wouldn't you agree as a Hutto fan? Um, for the future, for the long term, sure. I mean, I think John Cordoba is in, in in the immediate sense is the biggest loss. But you know, I, depending on how how Dardai ends up wanting to play, maybe he just wasn't wasn't the guy they needed to keep around anyway. But Selk is back in his own form. No, hang on. Hey, he, he scored in the cup. He scored the winner in the cup, and he showed a lot of you know endearing attitude after scoring in. Uh, <laughs> Injury time. Well, because he took some shit, didn't he, from from the home fans? And yeah, he did. The Meppin fans mouthed off. It's right, and he and he gave some back. And I think there's some grounds for a degree of optimism there. You know, he's up for it, and that's good. You want to see that from Davy Selka because there's a there's a there's a player locked away in there somewhere. And uh, yeah, I mean, if Dardai can get in his ear and get in his brain, and you know. Unleash some of that. Uh, he actually, he actually had his best stint in terms of goal production in the Bundesliga uh, under Dardai. It has to be said. So maybe there's something there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, losing Cordoba is obviously a blow. I mean, it is. I feel it necessary to point out Piontek, even though I, I mean, there is a school of thought that that guy is stealing a living and is just had that kind of like one season in Serie A where he was like amazing, and then since then he's regress to the mean. But you, you don't know. There could be possibilities there. You feel as though that Dardai is sort of g- going to have to reform that dressing room to a degree. That There's a lot of untapped potential and talent going on in that dressing room. That team is tons better than its balance seat show. And, and it, I suspect even after the changes that have been made, its wage bill is, is not in any way justifying the poor performances they've got on there. This is, this is a much better team. And, and what we can say about Dardai is that he's not, not a different coach than the one that they decided to dispense with when they decided to dispense with him. But uh, I am certain that he will make it clear to all of those players what it means to play for Hertha Berlin. And I think, yeah, in the terms of the backroom stuff, the bringing in Freddy Bobic is an extremely smart move. And although we may not necessarily see the fruits of that immediately, because it takes time to get the roller decks out and to make the calls and to get the right players in, but I think that finally we could finally have people there who are able to actually fulfil the ambitions of that big city club project. And I look forward to watching Hertha this year. I mean, we have, we have to mention, I think we've mentioned it a few times before, but in terms of lived club identity by coach, I don't think you can do any better than Paul Dardai. I mean, he, he's, he's the guy who worked for the youth teams, was promoted to be head coach, and uh, when he was fired, he could have gone to Cologne. He could have done something else. He could have gone pretty much all around the globe if he wanted to. I'm, I'm sure there were plenty of offers on the table, but no, he chose to, you know, go back coaching the youth setup once again. And when Hertha came knocking, saying, "Well, Paul, we are in a bit of a crisis situation here. We might very well get relegated. Could you help us out, please?" He said, "Yes, sure." And uh, you know, that in itself is a is a rare thing to find in the in the world of modern football. And uh, you know, as as a, as a role model for players, you can't do any better than that. And additionally, we have to mention that. Kevin Prince Boateng getting him into the dressing room is probably a huge bonus as well. I think he inspires good performances. Yes, yeah. we should talk about Stefan Jovetic though, because yeah, sure. 
I mean, we need to talk about that because that is that is an exciting signing. He's an exciting player. So, I mean, let, I mean, what what do you think about? He's at, at a point in his career where his best years are behind him, certainly. And and I'm sure you could possibly argue he wasn't quite the explosive player that we thought he might be. Nevertheless, that's a player with some pedigree who's joining Hertha. Yeah, yeah, and I think he's a player who could prove probably not quite as influential as uh, as Prince because Prince all of his history with Berlin and and sort of becoming a anti-racist campaigner icon type he's a player who everybody's going to look up to but I don't think we can underrate Stevan Jovetic either I mean this is you know it's been pointed out a, a number of times since he's signed I mean he's this is one of the only a handful of players who have played in all five big leagues in Europe and he's played for some pretty big teams over the years so I feel like the experience that he comes into this locker room with is going to be something that a lot of players, not just, you know, young sort of fringe youth types, but even mid-career professionals are going to look at him with a lot of respect. And I thought it was hugely encouraging, not only the players who you might expect it from, Boateng uh, principally, who's been aching to come back to Hertha for years, but even Jovetic, when he was, was signed made a lot of sort of comments about how much he, he thought playing for this club would be good for him, that he wanted to play for Hertha. He had offers from elsewhere, but he wanted to come there and play there. And I think the emphasis that's being put on that under this new regime of, of Freddie and Pal, you know, that's part of the reason why guys like Luca Nets and Arne Meyer maybe are being shipped on, even though I think everyone at Hertha would love to keep them and thinks that they are good players. But they want players who want to play at Hertha. If you don't want to play here, don't play here. Go somewhere else and play somewhere else. And getting that sort of greater identification between players and the club, which has been a huge problem for Hertha over the years. I mean, Hertha have had a number of really good players come through, but they see it as a stepping stone or they see it as a place that might pay a little bit more than you know other mid-table Bundesliga sides. It hasn't necessarily been seen as a club that was a destination or a club that players really want to be at. And if they can cultivate that over the next several years, I think that's actually going to pay dividends hugely in in the long term. Yeah, and this is the mark of a big club, isn't it? A big club where a significant portion of your players I see your club as a final destination. Yeah, even and, even you know this is this is this is where I peak in my career, and the better those players get. The further up the table and bigger the club, the better the club becomes. It's, uh, it's There's been some conversations over the summer about Cunha, about Luka Bacchio, and even to a lesser extent about Dedrick Boyata in the earlier part of the summer, about them thinking maybe they want to be somewhere else. And I think as far as I have heard, the club was very open to them saying, you know, if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. Go, go find another place to be. And, you know, whether it's because – the market's soft right now because of COVID and finances and stuff. I think a lot of these players are beginning to think, you know what? <laughs> Maybe this is actually a better situation than, than a lot of other places I can be because this is a club that's financially stable. This is a club that is in a, in a, in a positive trajectory right now. <laughs> they can only go up from here. I think that this could be a really pivotal year for the club if they can get – into the the thick of things in you know minimum mid table, which is <laughs> where we always want to be, but haven't been for a while. I think things could really move in a good direction. Well, we'll uh, talk a little bit more about that when when it comes time to make our predictions, won't we, Matt? 
I guess we will. I think you have something up your sleeve. Uh, oh, let's do. talk, though, however, about... Uh, I know, I know. It's, it, usually it's just an arm. <laughs> <laughs> Armenia Bielefeld. Last season's uh, sort of surprise team in terms of, of, of the strength of uh, performances that they put on despite being a sort of relative outsider promoted side. They have made... A fair number of moves, some, some somewhat intriguing moves. They've brought in Alessandro Schupp from uh, Schalke, Brian Lasm, Guillermo Ramos, Yanni Serra, a, a forward who I think um, a lot of expectation is going to be put on, as well as uh, Sebastian Vassiliadis, who, you know, after a, a year away from the top flight in Germany, I think a lot of people are going to be interested to see him back in uh, the Erste the Bundesliga. Terry, I guess I'll start with you. This is a team who flirted with relegation for maybe the first two-thirds or so of the season, despite putting on a pretty brave face at times. But when uh, Frank Kramer took over, I think things clicked. And, you know, not in the dramatic way of a Bo Svensson at Mainz, but there was there was a marked difference in how this team decided to play. Do you think that they're going to continue down that road of not playing sort of angsthase <laughs> football and, and actually play on the front foot a little bit more? Or do you think it might have to be taken in a bit more of a measured step. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Because how much of their football was driven by their circumstances, like we need to get out of this situation, so this is the way that we're going to do it. Playing football like it's the last 10 minutes, like you're 1-0 down in the last 10 minutes for a whole season. Is that really how you do it? I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think, yes, that that is the case. I don't think you'd find too many people would argue the point of view that if it hadn't have been that Schalke and sorry Nick Verder was so bad last season that Armenia might have been back in Bundesliga 2 this season and I think that that's something that they need to think about uh, that said there is no arguing with some of the performances they put in and no arguing with some of the results that they put in and they survived fair and square but I would be very surprised if they weren't sort of like you know Ligging around that bottom three, four for this for this season, even still. But yeah, we may see a little bit more, shall we say, more balanced in their approach, which would be a kind of a shame, I guess. But I th- who knows? I, uh, for me personally, uh, the biggest question before this summer transfer window was: Are they going to be able to hold on to Stefan Ortega? Because Bayern suddenly came sniffing around Ortega and there were some headlines. Should Ortega be the number third goalkeeper at the Euros for Germany? Suddenly the build starting road and, you know, they point to all the stats were that showed that he was indeed one of the best goalkeepers in the Bundesliga. The fact that Armenia gets to keep him for another year, possibly. I mean, the, the transfer window isn't over, but possibly. And that Bayern now have made their decision and decided, well, Sven Ulreich, what do you know, Sven? Do you enjoy the bench at the Sebenerstraße a little bit more than playing center stage for HSV? And who could blame you? So that, the fact that Armenia might be able to keep him, that is a big, big boost to that club, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I, as you say, it could be a, a, a one-more-year situation. As far as I know, his, his contract is up and this coming summer and he has shown no interest in in signing a new one so oh. i think his i think his agent is going to be doing the rounds during the season wonder why any money that they make from on the transfer market uh, to now this summer you'd have to weigh up against the potential earnings that they would lose were he to leave if he's got enough to keep I mean, it could be that you know his record could be enough to keep armenia in the in the division so, and that 
comes in itself with a big payout of millions of euros. So you've got to weigh the two up against that, have you? He's worth more to them now, keeping him and then letting him go. So, you know, in the in a year's time for nothing, right? Yeah. I have a feeling that there will be an announcement during the winter transfer window Definitely. of where yeah. he will be playing next season. I don't know where that will be, but I, I have a strong feeling that we will all know where he's playing next season sometime in January. Just checking Manuel Neuer's age again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we're also checking to see how, how Alexander Nubel is uh, getting on in France. I think of Alexander Nubel, I think of that sideshow Bob scene from The Simpsons and the rakes. That's, that's what I think of when I think of Alexander Nubel. He does step on a lot of rakes, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about SFT uh, Cone. They uh, finished in the relegation playoff spot last season. They, uh, you know, famously came storming back after having a, a pretty poor outing up in Kiel in the first leg of that uh, relegation playoff. They ended up winning it with ease in the second leg. There's a lot of changes there. You know, I guess there should be. If you finish uh, 16th, you should m- probably make a lot of changes. The changes start at the top. No, Friedhelm Funkel is not sticking around for another go-around. Stefan Baumgart, who we all, uh, you know, know from his days at uh, SA Paderborn, he is taking over the reins in Cologne. There's going to be a lot of changes in terms of uh, playing staff. Mark Ut is back. He's doing his Schalke Cologne seesaw situation. He's back on the, the Cologne side of things this year, allegedly permanently, although, you know, do stay tuned. Anthony Modest is back in Cologne after uh, a, a little break back in France with uh, Saint-Étienne. And they, uh, you know, most notably probably gave up Sebastian Bornau to Wolfsburg and uh, Ismail Jacobs to uh, Monaco. Nick, I guess we'll start with you. How do you figure Cologne are going to make out this year? I think a lot of us feel pretty positive thoughts about Stefan Baumgart from his, his sort of per- sideline persona in the past. Is he going to work some, some, some sort of, you know, burly man magic with, with Cologne? Yeah. I mean, Emily Mouth, the East German is always going to do you a world of good, isn't he? But, you know, to be fair to Stefan Baumgart, I think he proved himself to be effective coach in the third and second division. With Paderborn, he, he had a good go around and he probably did a lot better than a lot of people expected. But in the end, it's it's not really an indication of a, of a great coach because we all thought that we had this great coach on our hand with uh, Andre Brighton, right? And when he did a lot better with the same club a few years earlier and uh, what he's shown as a coach afterwards uh, with other Bundesliga sides hasn't really been all that impressive, has it? So it's, it's still sort of a question mark for me uh, how good a coach Stefan Baumgart is. And the squad in itself uh, doesn't look improved. I think losing... The likes of Jacobs and Bornau is actually a massive blow. I don't think they've been replaced adequately during this transfer window. Timo Hubers, though, is an, is an interesting signing, I have to say. I mean, um, he's a central back from Hanover who had a decent season in the Bundesliga too. But if he's going to be able to replace Belgium international Sebastian Bornau adequately, that still stands to be seen. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a, in the mindset that I, I do expect Cole in, in the lower half of the table once again, to be honest. You have the same mind, Terry? Yes, I won't expand that much more upon what Nick has said, to be honest with you. I, I've got 
a little bit more faith. I think that Stefan Baumgart will make some kind of impact, but it's not based on a great deal more than than faith because of, you know, we we just don't know. And as you point out, just because he's done well, excelled at one club doesn't mean that you'll go and excel another one. And the Brighton Brighton comparison is not a degree unreasonable because they're two entirely separate human beings. But you know, Brighton Brighton's decision the next career move was to go to Schalke, who, you know, are another, you know, emotional club that have, you know, got organizational issues and and, and the same has been said about Cologne in the past <laughs> and in the and in the present and, and in and in almost likely the, the future. It's a difficult it's a political club and difficult to, to manage, I would think. And I think you've got to be not only very, very a very good coach, but you also have to be a very powerful and influential human being to be able to get what you need there. But uh, so I, I think there's challenges for him. But I mean, you know, I mean, he's a he's a, he's a formidable presence, Stefan Bangart. Uh, so yeah. the only person who managed to sort of get the political side within the club well was Peter Stöger. Indeed. So. Um, that's what that, it turns. that is sort of like in the last two or three decades. So um, yeah, good luck, it's, it's, going to be, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how how long he is going to last. Because um, honestly, I'm I'm going to make this prediction now, and um, you can quote me on this. If Stefan Baumgart is still in charge of Köln at the end of the season, I'd be willing to you know ran the Berlin Marathon in Dang 2023. It. I've done a half marathon, but. Uh, it's- it, it's a fall marathon. You could, you would have time. You would have time to train. For yeah, but it, in, it's in not a lot of fun to train for a marathon. I mean, half marathon, I can. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but but the marathon thing. Come on. Yeah, it's dude. Sort I've, of I've like, run like many half marathons. Every time I trained for a marathon, I got hurt during the training. I never ran the marathon. <laughs> it's it's just the volume you have. You know, in terms of the volume, training volume that you have to do, it's, you know, it's it's no fun. Yeah, yeah. I, if, if I do something like doing a marathon, I, you know, I, you know, I don't want to do it in five hours and 25 minutes. I, you know, I want to want to be at least at under three and a half hours. Ooh, ooh, okay. Well, that, that'll be interesting. Um, one thing I will say that Cologne has going for them, which I think Stefan Baumgart has, has noticed as well, is just the depth, the depth and variety of their, you know, lifestyle slash Freizeit section of their, their club shop. Because Stefan Baumgart, who we all knew is a guy who, you know, dressed up in, <laughs> you know, training suits that looked like he was a you know a nascar pit crew guy at, at, at paderborn wearing his ball cap and his garishly printed jacket at cologne he's wearing all kinds of different stuff he's got these graphic t-shirts he's he switched to a flat cap i mean he's a flat cap guy no we, we never knew he was a flat cap guy because sc paderborn they don't even have flat caps i looked they don't have them so we're learning new things about stefan baumgart just because the merchandise in, in the, the FC shop is, is just so <laughs> it's deep. Probably, it's probably why I left Paderborn. It's sort of like once that offer came in, he went just straight to the FC fan shop and was like, wow, wow, they've got like two T-shirts with two different motives. Why why does he have to go all the way to Cologne? I know, I know. You know, I mean, like, well, in fairness, it's not far. But I mean, it's, it, 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 but, it's but, you know. But I mean... He is like any person. He wants to be understood by the people he works for. He doesn't want to ask. He wants to be understood. He wants them to ask him, Stefan, should we make a flat cap? 
It's yeah, no. I mean, I, I'm with you there. I mean, I just to echo the whole flat cap and coaches wearing flat cap energy. It's very 1970s, very England 1970s, and I'm very, very much here for that. You know, more power to him. Did Brian Clough wear flat caps? I mean, <laughs> not actually. To be fair, no, it wasn't. But you know, I mean, he, he's he's the most England 1970s coach alongside Don. No, Rimi. no, no. You, you, you've completely wrong about that. Brian, in the 1970s, Brian Clough was a progressive coach. Oh, We're talking he? about. Guys, you know, guys, the kind of guys who, yeah, of course he was a young coach in the 1970s. And he, and he, and he, he took Derby from the second division and then to the championship, first division championship in consecutive seasons. He was, uh, by any definition of progressive, co- we're moving off topic here. He was, he, he was the Otter Ergel of uh, the 70s in England then. Um, yeah, I think that that's probably a fair comparison to make, actually. And I mean, and, and, and through the 80s, he was absolutely imperious. I mean, he went into decline, obviously, in the late 80s and the early 90s, and, and quite tragically so, to be fair. But we're not here to talk about 70s football. Tune into my 70s football podcast, which doesn't actually exist. That 70s yet. show. Matt will uh, let you know the feeds at the end of the show. <laughs> we are here. We're here to build popular demand for that podcast, Terry. <laughs> Just planting seeds everywhere we go. Okay, we got two more teams to talk about. These I can, can, yeah. can just mention one more thing when it comes to Cologne. Uh, one, quickly, I, I have to be... Uh, we ha- we should mention the fact that they actually are the first team in Germany that demanded that demanded that the spectators at their stadium need, need to be vaccinated. Not good enough to show uh, you know, a COVID certificate I was tested three days ago. No, no. You have to be fully waxed up to go to Cologne matches now. And I, I applaud that because, you know... Once we've gotten to that high degree of vaccination all around Europe, that's what the future has to look like. Amen to that. But here's the best part. They're actually not going to start that until their third home match. And on the first two matches, they're going to have vaccination centers open. You can come to the match with a negative test. If you don't have, if you don't have your vax yet, you can get vaxxed at the stadium. Your first and second doses in, you know, pretty, pretty close to the right sort of spread. But this is exactly what every team should be doing. Every team should a require vaccinations and b say you don't you know you want to get one you get it in this ground. Give me your arm. We're going to stick it right here. This is exemplary. Really great. And this is why petty rivalries and petty rivalry banters aside, this is why you know I hope and I think we all hope that Stefan Baumgart succeeds and Cologne. Stay in the business. Oh, shit, I'm going to run that marathon. You want to you you see Nick do his marathon, but you also, you also want to see clubs like that do well because they, 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 because they do the right thing. And their mascot is the goat yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 a, good, it's a good thing that I, didn't, that I didn't say that I was going to run that marathon in an HSV jersey because that, that would have killed me. <laughs> 42 kilometers in that jersey. I think with some skillful editing we can make it out that you did indeed say that you would do that oh aiden don't deep fake me again has uh, has hennis the ninth been uh, been chosen i i know hennis the eighth died during uh, the last season i don't know i would imagine so oh yeah hennis the ninth is he's yeah, in yeah, action no, hennis, he's, he was unveiled in august hennis the eighth retired first and then was replaced by hennis the ninth oh you're right you're right he died in retirement sorry he's hennis yeah. the ninth has been has been in in office for a couple of years now yes <laughs> It's like the same thing with the popes, like, you know, with Benedict saying, you know, I'm, I'm stepping aside. We're laughing, but th- this is terribly serious. So It's true. You know, it's true. This is, this is, you've got to get these things right. This is about a goat's life. <laughs> Two more teams. Two teams who we didn't get to familiarize ourselves with through 
their their play last season, other than than perhaps the the sort of intermittent dips into the second division. But I, I'm pretty excited to see at least one of these two teams. First, the one I am excited about because I still have fond memories of going to Bochum games back when they were in the top flight. The old Verein für Leibesübungen Bochum. Hooray! That's going to make, uh, you know, the likes of Christoph Biermann and, uh, also Derek Ray very happy to see them back in, in the top flight. I think they've made some interesting sort of marginal moves, bets on players who have, have shown flashes of things over the summer. They've brought in Elvis Rexbachai, who's, uh, sort of bounced around since, uh, Wolfsburg decided they didn't want to have him around. Edward Leuven, who has, uh, had some moments with Augsburg. Here to decide they didn't want him around, but most interestingly, Takuma Asano. Uh, this is a player who, you know, hasn't produced as much as some folks thought that he would. He was attached to Arsenal for some time, been on loan a number of places, tore it up in Serbia. It'll be interesting to see him get games in a top flight, you know, European league and see what he can do. Aren't you most excited about the Revection Bajai, though? Just the Elvis factor? Well, yes. The name, the, the fact that he. It's named Elvis, and the fact that he's actually quite a decent midfielder, I think. And by the way, how would you translate Verein für Leibesübungen if you had to? Is, is it is it club for body practices or practicing of the control of of your body? Uh, what, what what is Leibesübungen all about? Because it's 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 a uniquely German word, isn't it? Yeah, Leibesübungen. <laughs> Yeah, it's it. If you translate it directly, it sounds very dumb. You know, it's you know, it's it is it's body practicing. Body practicing. I mean, you could say I don't know, like calisthenics, even gymnastics. If you wanted to sort of, um, I would say like conditioning maybe would be the best sort of the club for body conditioning. I, I like that. Yeah, it's, it's it sounds like it sounds like an evil lab run by some bond villain, doesn't it? But. Uh, <laughs> Body conditioning, I like I it. I like it. I like it too. Terry, are, how are you feeling about having Bochum back in the league? Do you do you get that sort of pitter patter that I do? Yeah, I do get warm and fuzzy feelings about Bochum being back. Bochum were a mainstay of the Bundesliga when I was first getting into them. Um, I am delighted that they have uh, returned. Uh, I am not going to sit here and profess to be an expert on Bundesliga two and having seen enough of them to be able to assess whether or not their players who are coming up have enough to be able to stay up. Uh, my first instinct would be to suggest that it's going to be a struggle for them. And I don't think that that's a particularly controversial statement. But uh, again, you, we know what the Bundesliga can be like and it can produce some terrible football teams when it wants to. Uh, and there's no reason to assume why Bochum should be one of them. They'll have momentum and some spirit and some handy players. I think it's perfectly reasonable to to think that they're in with a shout. It is worth reminding everyone only really effectively two teams go down in the Bundesliga, right? Statistically, because the, usually the playoff winner is the, is the team from the higher division. So, so there's every chance that, that they can pull it off. And, and I'm, I'm also delighted that we've got a Revere derby after all in, in the Bundesliga. Yeah. The, the, the Kleiner, Kleiner Revere derby. Indeed. Quite so. Um, I mean, the, the biggest match for Bochum would have been against Schalke, though, to be fair. Um, well, yes. Yeah. One, one last thought about Bochum. I think that they've lost Robert Zulsch uh, to another club. Uh, was it in Bahrain or Qatar? Yeah, in UAE. Yeah, Al-Itihad. Well, I think he was the guy who had the biggest goal production for them last season in the Bundesliga 2, and uh, that is going to be a big loss because, um, obviously, he's 
been a decent player at Bundesliga 2 level and would have been exciting to see what he could do in the Bundesliga, but obviously he chose money over, you know, trying to uh, get more acolytes within German football. Hey, you know, it, if the amount is right, I think it's a decision yep. many of us it's would make. It's the professional choice. I, you know what? You know what? I mean, we would, I mean, to be fair, if uh, some private actor from uh, some evil company came along and said to me, you know what? Do that nursing job of yours at my place, and I'll pay you two, three, four, five times the amount of money. I'd be lying if I'd said that, nah, I'm not going to consider that. Yeah, sign me up. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, and finally, we got uh, the another interesting prefix here, the Spielvereinigung, Greuther Fürth. They are back in the Bundesliga after a decade away. Their last involvement in the top flight was brief. I'm afraid this one will probably be brief as well. But I really think they've they've taken some interesting people on. A lot of players who have a history at bigger clubs who at one point in time in their young career were, were very highly touted, but things have not quite gone their way. Gideon Jung, former HSV player, former Germany Youth International. You could say the same for Max Christiansen, former Germany Youth International. Adrian Fine from Bayern. Jessica Gunkam, <laughs> you know, if if he ever gets to play for them. I think this could be at least a feisty team. What do, what do you reckon, Nick? Yeah, I think they are going to... I, well, first of all, let, let's be honest. Further going into the season with the lowest budget of all teams. And the fact that they've been in the Bundesliga twice within a decade shows that they've done a lot of tremendously good work because even at Bundesliga 2 standards, they are not amongst the top five of the league in terms of the budget usually. And the fact that they've gone up twice in 10 years and actually been to one playoff as well, which they narrowly lost against HSV, shows that the, the people in charge there really know what they do. Now... You know what football is like. You know how much money matters. And that's why they were relegated last time. Because they obviously weren't able to compete at this level. Because when you're such a small club, all the decisions need to be right to stay up for one more season. And that is almost an impossible task. And the same is going to happen to them again. But yeah, they're going to put up a fight. And they've got a young, exciting squad. And they have been great at developing young talents. One of the best clubs in Germany, in fact. So we might as well get a couple of surprises here and there, especially if we haven't watched our Bundesliga 2 of late. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be exciting to see what they're going, you know, if they can get some shot results. But in the end, I think they are going to be relegated. Yes, agreed. Um, I can't really put it any better or more succinctly, and I don't have any side to add to that at all. I'm looking forward to watching them play, most definitely but do not believe that they have a sufficiently large or deep enough squad to stay in the Bundesliga. Well, now, now that I've sort of <laughs> shown my hand a bit here, uh, saying that I do believe that Greutherford is going to get relegated, should we do our predictions and start with the bottom three? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one one side note about Fiat, they got a couple of US eligible players, a couple of uh, you know dual nationals, which might add a little extra spice for, for some of our listeners slash viewers this season, Timothy Tillman and uh, Julian Green. Remember him, Julian Green? He's actually been quite good, quite good for Fiat over the last couple of years, and it's nice to see him back in the top flight. Yeah. If, if, if we're talking about that, you know, Fiat's connection to the US of A, that's even a bigger one. And do you know what it is? I think I might, but I'll let you bring it up. 
one of the biggest war criminals in the United States history. His name is Henry Kissinger, and he, he comes from Ferd. I am familiar with his crimes. Y- you know, you know. don't ask people in Indonesia what they think about him, or in Chile, or pretty much anywhere around the world. The, the pool of blood running over his hand and his entire body is... is it's it's massive, but yeah, he is he's born in Furt, I think, or nearby. Yeah, he's and a ma- he's, massive and he's a fan. massive Furt fan, and he's actually been to a couple of matches and been filmed on the stands whilst being there. So Henry Kissinger, he's a Furt fan, and politically speaking, let's not dive into that history, shall we? <laughs> yeah, let's leave it right there. Okay, to our predictions, it's time for predictions, predictions, predictions. I think we should start, and basically we don't need to go through the entire table. That would be silly. We can talk about the top six and then talk about the bottom three. Everything happening in the middle between that is all kind of a mishmash anyway. Terry, why don't you start us off with your top six? Okay, dokie karaoke. I've gone for Bayern Munich at number one. Uh, I've gone for BFB at number two. And I've gone for RB Leipzig at number three. Fourth place, I think that this is going to be a better season for Bayer Leverkusen. I think we're going to see them back in the Champions League and finishing fourth. I don't think Wolfsburg will be as good as they were, but I still would say that they will be consistent enough to get themselves into fifth. And finally, I'm looking for a little bit more from Adi Hutter's BMG, but not that much more. I'm going for them in sixth. Dig it. Okay, I'll, I'll go with the next one. I think Leipzig are going to win the league. I think it's the year when it happens. We can talk further if you want, or we can just leave it right there. But I'll, I'll say it right here. I think it's going to happen. No, we need to, we need to talk about this. Ah. We need to talk ah. about this. If you, It's an edgy take, and I think you need to show your work. Get, get ready for an edgy take when Nick steps up to the mic. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I just think, I think keeping that squad, I mean, I think the defense is going to, is going to be a work in progress. I think it's going to matter a lot how, um, how, how things, you know, whether they're able to adequately replace in time, you know, Upamakano and Konate. But I think the addition of, of Andre Silva has the potential to be transformative. I just think that he is so good that let's just say if, if Robert Lewandowski doesn't have another bananas year, I feel like he could be someone who could challenge him for the the goal scoring title, the kind of form that he showed all last season. So I just feel like a team that has the depth that they have can probably handle playing the up-tempo style that, that Marsh likes to play. Like they have enough people to, to, to jump in when people get tired or hurt. And they have one of the best strikers in the league. I think it Maybe maybe it's time. That's all the work I have. I'm going to continue with my list because we should we we should get moving. I think Borussia Dortmund are going to finish second. Well, that's another controversial take though because <laughs> yeah, one, I mean both of you guys do, think do, Dortmund do, are going to finish second. Yeah, well, that's well, so controversial. Yeah, 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 yeah. But hang on, but <laughs> you picking Leipzig ahead of B4B means that you don't have Bayern in the top two. No, no, no. I, I, I'm just, I am being, I am being, uh, uh, impish, purposely contrary here. <laughs> I just kind of feel like if it's going to take an off year for Bayern to not win the title, I think it might as well go ahead and be really off and see them not even, you know, win the, the Fietzemeisterschaft. I don't know. It's, this is a, probably a foolish speculation, but, um, Sometimes I just like to, I like to pipe 
my pipe dreams and just stare off into the haze and really just enjoy it all, you know? I mean, uh, being foolish means that you are staying young, <laughs> yeah. is what some people say. So uh, you, you should continue to do so. Dig it, dig it. All right, um, fourth place, Leverkusen, fifth, Gladbach, and sixth, Freiburg. Freiburg, I you know, kind of mentioned it earlier in this podcast that, you know, when Freiburg has a good season, as I think they more or less did last year, uh, they usually get picked clean. They are going to run it back. They've got a great coach. They apparently have a crop of, of young guys who can add to depth. I, you know, I think it could happen for them. <laughs> Fringe Europe. Pelines. Like it. Uh, well, my picks, you know, um, and now let's get some really fucking edgy shit going here. Well, in first place, and that's not edgy, it's, it's Bayern, uh, BVB on second for me. A bit edgier on in third, that's Bayer uh, ahead of RB Leipzig. Mm. I think RB Leipzig have just about what it takes. I think, as you said, that defense is going to be a work in progress and it's going to be found out a lot of, more often under Jesse Marsh and without Dyed Upper Meccano than last season, I think. And, well, now we're getting into really sort of Edge Lord territory. Aliens landing. Edge Lord. Edge Lord Wilfaden. Yeah, yep. it's it's Herter. Herter, then for me. Mr. Herman would agree. No, I'm oh, I will be insufferable. It'll be the last several weeks of the season will be excruciating. Just think how excited he is about your about Herter finishing fifth in your predictions. Just imagine what it's gonna be like if it actually happens. Would you run the Berlin Marathon with me if it happened? Yeah, why not? I mean I I've told you my track record. It's not good. It's not good. I've, I basically get hurt every time I try well, to run I a marathon. Mean, but uh, oh, yeah, oh. if one of us finishes underneath four hours, uh, should be fine. Should be fine. That that one of us is going to be you, Nick. Oh shit. Uh, well, uh, no. My, my, my thing behind Herta is I think that Derek Boyata is one of the best uh, defenders in in the Bundesliga. I think the backline looks fairly decent. I think the midfield looks like it's sorted out. I think the attacking potential that is there with players like Luka Bakio and Cunha. It hasn't delivered to its full potential over the last season. I think they can do a lot better. And uh, despite what I said about, you know, old coaches returning to their clubs, former clubs, I think that Paul Dada actually might very well be the right man in the right position and that he probably shouldn't have been let go in the first place. And he never left, Back- to be fair. He never left. He never he left, never left, the club, left. so... He never left the club. Just, so, um, just changed his office. That's all. So that's why I picked Herta because I, I, you know, I think with all the money and all the quality that they do have on their hands and with somebody as capable of coaching Herta and understanding this club in Dardai and with somebody as capable as Freddie Bobbage, I think going forward, sky is the limit, really. Yep. Well, there's, there's going to be somebody. Somebody's going to end up in the top six who we don't foresee. You know, might as well be here to. If it's Herta, you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to to joining you in Berlin in 2023. And well, the last uh, my last pick is well aligned with uh, with Mr. Defellen once again. It's it's Borussia Mönchengladbach in six. Nice, nice. From what I can see, I think our bottom three predictions are a little less a uh, little less spicy, a little less demanding on the digestive tract. I will start off with uh, 16th place. The playoff spot, I think, will be Augsburg, followed by Bielefeld and Fürth. So I guess my only my only prediction, and this is probably uh, sentimental, that uh, Bochum will be able to stick around. Different directions you want to go with those, boys? No. <laughs> I went for Bochum in 16th, which basically means that they're with a chance to, to stick around. I mean, it would be great to have Bochum against Schalke in a relegation playoff. That would be spicy. Yes. That would be that would bloody spicy. Augsburg is in 17th because, as I said, they are a hateful club. 
hate well, not not Klopp, but you know, it's 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 hateful to see them. I mean, you you really you really wonder what happened in the last couple of hours in your life after you've watched an Augsburg match, and um, you wanted to undo it all, but you can't. And uh, in the bottom for me, and and you know the the bottom club is going to be Kreuterfurt. TD. Uh, I have uh, gone for Armenia Bielefeld in the playoff place. They'll stay up, of course, because Bundesliga. Mind you, fans, because there's so many big clubs uh, in the top of that uh, Bundesliga two, it's possible that that might go the other way around. But Bielefeld in the bottom three, I just feel that they're just not going to have enough, and I don't think that there are. You know, I, I mean, despite what I said earlier, I'm, I just feel that there aren't necessarily going to be three worse clubs than them. So uh, I've gone for them. I've also gone for Augsburg, partly, again, because I just hope that if enough people predict that they'll be relegated, that it'll happen. But I mean, in fairness, I'm not overwhelmed by what, by what they've done, and I'm not convinced that Weitzel is the solution to their problems. And finally, in 18th, I have gone for Henry Kissinger's Gleuter Fürth. All right, that is... I guess a fitting end for uh, you know what what you get if you you have supporters of that ilk. <laughs> okay, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced as always by Aiden Rantoul. Good to see you again after only a brief absence, Nick and Terry. Yeah, I mean uh, after this therapy session of almost two hours, us talking about our long distance relationship at the start of the show, I have to say I love you more now. I do. I honestly do, and I think Terry is probably going to feel, say that he he feels the same way. Yeah, um, absolutely brimming brimming with love uh, and brimming with a, a degree of exhaustion as well. And seriously hope that the ones that we do during the season are, are, are less than this. <laughs> um, but it has been an absolute blast. Uh, and uh, thank you for the opportunity, and I'm really looking forward to the season with you guys. It's going to be fantastic. Lovely, lovely. I can feel the love tonight. You can follow everybody on this pod on Twitter, at Terry DeFellin, at Norm Musings, at Mr. Matt Herman. Subscribe to the pod, rate the pod, review the pod, tell a friend. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all. <laughs>